0: Uh, also, all right, now you got to wait for it. Okay? Are you waiting for it? Waiting for it? Ready? Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! <laughs> all right, now, see, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! <laughs> One more time, big. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! <laughs> A visual aid this year, what do you think? <laughs> all right, okay. So, I love Christmas. How do you not love Christmas? If you don't love Christmas, you're just a horrible human being of some sort. I don't know what it is. I, you know, I I didn't mean that, of course, but I do, but I didn't. But the point is, you just gotta love it. Last year, or last week, or a couple weeks ago, I showed, you know, all the colors and the people getting together and all of that part of it, but I love the imagery of this time, too, the richness of it. This is, you know, who hasn't seen this before? Mary on the donkey, you know, riding to Bethlehem. Or, you know, coming to the inn, and the inn, there's no room in the inn, and the innkeeper turning them away. Or, you know, here they are in the, in the manger with the shepherds and the wise men, and there you go. And then, you know, that beautiful star that's above the manger, right? So I love all this imagery. Now, I hope that you will forgive me for being the Grinch that stole Christmas if I should bring up that actually there was no donkey, not a horse or a donkey or anything else. It never says that she was riding something there. And you think, well, pregnant, she should be. But if the truth is, is in that day and age, a woman her age being pregnant, it's only 80 miles. She would have walked to 80 miles most likely. So there's no donkey. Sorry, okay. Sorry, don't get mad at me. Okay. Uh, you know the whole innkeeper and inn? Well, there wasn't an inn. It's not an inn, there, wasn't, there were something kind of like inns, but it wasn't that, the word that's being used, when it says manger in scripture, it actually means feeding trough. And where they fed the animal, a little thing where they fed the animals from, just the trough. So it was probably outside, in fact, the word probably has to do with the other word that's used, probably has to do with just a covering that they would set up so that people could come under it, there was just no more room under it. So there was no innkeeper telling them that they had to go away, okay? Uh, You know, something along that, that thing. And when we get to this nativity scene, you know, as I said, it's not a manger. It's not an enclosed. Most likely, it's not an enclosed thing. It doesn't say it is. It just says this feeding trough. And so it's probably out in the open. And those three kings that are there are not actually kings. They're wise men. And they're not actually at that scene at all. We're probably about a year off as to when they show up, and they don't show up in Bethlehem. They show up in Nazareth, where Jesus is, and his family is back to, okay? So, I, like I say, bummer Christmas, right, okay? So, and that whole star being over, the nativity, the, the nativity, you know, again, it led them to the house in Bethlehem, 80 miles away. So, I mean, in Nazareth, excuse me, in Nazareth. So, can I just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I apologize. But one of the reasons why I bring that, what am I, are we doing something? Your laser pointer shining in our eyes. Oh, it is? Am I lasering everybody? Well, I'm going to need it right back, though. Okay. All right, thank you. So, so the one, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> this is a professional show here. I just want you to know. Okay. But the, but the point is, is when I think about all, I'm not trying to be Grinch that stole Christmas or Scrooge. What I am trying to do is it brings to mind something. If there's a whole lot of things in the story that we think are in the story that actually aren't in the story, is there any chance that there's some things that are in the story, and they're right there to be seen by anybody at any time, but that we don't actually see it? Is there something in the story? I I just pointed out how there's things that we think are in the story that aren't, but is the converse true? Obverse, actually, I think it is. Is the obverse true? Is there something in the Christmas story that's right there for anybody to see but we don't that'll just blow you away? I literally have in my mind that God wants to give you a Christmas gift today that will so touch your heart that you'll literally be floating out of here in a cloud. That's the sense that I have, okay? So that's where we're headed today, I'm very excited about this. Dave Cosby, this is great. Dave is on the council now. Uh, He and Deb are just absolutely key to everything that Lake Sam is. These are incredibly wonderful people with such a gift. So, Dave, would you pray for the sermon, Lift Up Another Church? Father, we thank you for the opportunity and the freedom to come here and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our ears so that we would receive the gift today that you would uh, bless the church in uh, Vancouver, New Hope, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. So when we think about Christmas, we know that it's a miracle story, right? A virgin giving birth, that birth is actually God himself come and become man. We get that the angels and the choir, we get that there's, there's a lot of miracles in this story, right? We all get that, Right? But I wonder if we get how many miracles are in this story. I want you to hang in there with me for It's not going to take that long. But I want to show you something about what happens in the Gospels surrounding what we call the birth narrative of Christ. I want to show you something that we know, but do we ever put it together? So before Jesus is even in the picture, before he's even mentioned, it starts off with this guy, Zechariah and Zechariah is a priest, and what happens is they have 12 different groups of priests that come in, and then they serve at a particular time in, in Jerusalem on, as they rotate, and then they will cast lots for a particular priest to go in on a daily, or week, whatever the, whatever the thing is that has to be done, they'll cast lots for what priest is supposed to do it, and then that priest will go in there and do this, And all the rest will be outside, and people will be outside praying for them as they're in the temple before the Lord, okay? So I just want to start walking. Now, here's the way I'm going to describe a miracle today. Any time that God brings something into this world to, to change what's happening here in this world, okay? You see what I mean? Something of the other dimensionality of God, where the angels are in the spirit dimension, and coming into ours in a way that is impacting in a way that's obvious. So what we get is, the first thing is, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord. So this particular guy, and you'll see why it's so important in a second, almost, most of you already know the story. But this particular guy is chosen at this particular time to go into the temple. So that right there is God intervening. Casting the Lots to get Zechariah to do it. Now, then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right-hand side of the altar. Now I'm going to call the appearance of an angel a miracle. Because I think if, you, if, an, if an angel suddenly showed up right here, most of you would say, that's pretty miraculous, right? That is something from another dimension that's coming into ours to make a difference, okay? Now, what this angel did, and this is such a cool thing. Watch this. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer's been heard. Look what he's doing. He's going in to light the incense, The incense stands in for the prayers that go up before the Lord and the smoke that it creates is also standing in for the presence of God. Okay, that holy cloud. So the idea is Zechariah as a priest is going in with the prayers of the people to light the incense so the prayers of the people will rise up. But look at this cool thing. The angel says, the Lord's heard your prayer. See what I mean? Now he's an old guy. His wife is an old, is, what, what do we call him? Because you can't say old. What is it? A woman of age? How's that? Is that better? Okay, of a certain age, where she's not supposed to be bearing children. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now he says, how can that be? And behold, then a third miracle happens. You're going to be unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And then we have another miracle, Elizabeth conceives. So right here, before we even got to Jesus, we have Zechariah chosen by Lot, an angel appears. He knows Zechariah's prayers. He foretells the future. He makes Zechariah unable to speak, and Elizabeth conceives. We have six miracles before we even got started, right? Okay, now we sort of click over to Mary. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. An angel appearing, miracle. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. Now, there's all kinds of things in here that we're going to unpack a little bit. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. Okay? Now, I just want to note something here in terms of what God is trying to prove with these miracles too. There are people that picked up that Son of God and even before Jesus and said, I'm the Son of God as kings. But once they died, nobody called them that anymore because they were dead. And also because they didn't have to anymore because they weren't king anymore and they weren't afraid of not calling him son of God. You know what I mean? When the king comes to you and says, call me something, you call him that. (laughs) Right? But nobody kept calling those kings anything once they died. Jesus dies and people still to this day call him the son of God. See it? So, all right, we're getting pretty truthful here. So here's three more. The angel appears to Mary. The angel foretells the future. And Mary conceives knowing no man. Then, chronologically, what we get to is Joseph. Behold, an angel appears to him in a dream. She's now pregnant. He's going, This is bummer. Okay? And he decides to put her away, but he's an honorable man. He's a discreet man, and, and he's a nice man. He's a kind man. And so he's going to do it privately, discreetly, right? But the angel comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. But then he goes on. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And that's going to mean God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. So here's the miracles that happen in this little story. An angel appears, says Jesus fulfills a prophecy, and tells us that this baby is God. Okay, and that baby is God. So there's some, that's a kind of a big miracle. I put it in bold to kind of point out, that's kind of a big miracle, right? Okay, now we keep going. Now, when Elizabeth, so they're both pregnant now, And Mary goes to greet Elizabeth, goes to Elizabeth for three months. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now remember, this is a young girl and an older woman, so the deference should be going the other direction. Okay? And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. How does she know that? Okay, And then she goes off and prays some more. Now look, on this one, the baby leaps in Elizabeth's room, Elizabeth prophesies, and then that provokes Mary's prophecy, the Magnificat. Okay? I'm just trying to not do all of these verses because it would take us too long. But the bottom line is, is there's, we're up to 15 miracles here. Jesus hasn't been born yet. And now we get to a whole another class of miracles, of which literally is an entirely different sermon, which we've done before and all that, but I just need to note it because it's so important. Watch what else is happening in these stories that is miraculous. Words are being fulfilled which were given hundreds if not thousands of years before. Over and over and over and over. And I'm only going to show you a few, but watch this. Oh, no, I'm sorry, this is Zechariah. His name is John, and immediately his mouth is open and his tongue loose after after John's born, because they're thinking he's going to name him after an ancestor, and John's not an ancestor, but that's what the angel said. So immediately his mouth is open, the tongue is loose, and he spoke, blessing God. So right here, all fell. I want you to see, when these miracles are happening at this day and time, this is having an effect on people, and I want you to see something else. Luke is a historian. Luke is the one who's writing this down. Luke is a doctor, so he's trained in the things of science such as they were at the time. And he's been commissioned by a guy named Theophilus to find out what's true about what happened. So these stories are not him 100 years later hearing some stories and putting them down in a book as if they're true. These are stories where he can go and talk to the people who were there. These are stories where he's researched it in order to be able to tell this guy from Rome what really has happened that God recorded for us so that we can be assured that these things really happened. Okay? So what happens is, when these miracles are happening, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And then, of course, what happens is, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord the God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So here we got three more, Zachariah's, or two more. is able to speak, Zechariah prophesies. Now we're going to get to this other class. These things about words being fulfilled. Now watch. Remember earlier we already saw this one. This took place about Mary getting pregnant the way that she did to fulfill the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, this is very important that this is Isaiah. And here's why. People who don't believe in such things as prophecy will take the book of Isaiah in particular and they will say, well, this is written sometime after these things happened, as if it was at the time. So people who don't really get what the word is, they don't get that it's God-breathed, they don't get that the people who deal with the word, the people who copy it, the scribes, they would never dare change a word. They would never dare add a word. This is not editing somebody's manuscript. This is God. This is the Word. This is no, more, no less the Word of God than is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You see it? And so the point is, is we, we have this little thing about Isaiah, which I've talked about before, and I'll just do it quickly. But the bottom line is, is you couldn't get a seat at any university anywhere in the world if you didn't believe that there was something like 600 authors of the book of Isaiah. And there were people that were writing doctoral dissertations all the time about finding a new author. Somebody added some material and here's why. And then you would get this chair in some theological place. And then we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, in what I like to think is a little just joke by God, seriously, 597 of the 600 disappeared in a day because they all were thought to be after 150 B.C. And what we found when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the one book we found in its entirety in the Dead Sea Scrolls was Isaiah, the most prophetic book in all the Old Testament. So everybody that didn't believe in prophecy, 597 of your reasons to not believe in prophecy disappeared in one day. And the amazing thing is when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, 19, what was it, 50-something? 47? 1947? The, the book that we found was word for word the same book that we were translating from today. Okay? Just, this is a sacred thing. God keeps his word. He doesn't just keep it as in fulfills it, but keeps it as in keeps it his word. And so the point is, is what we get at this moment in time is, we got a guy writing 600 years before Jesus that a virgin is going to have a baby. And it's a fascinating story right there too, by the way. Oh, by the way, when I said it was a joke about finding the Dead Sea Scrolls, I love that God got rid of 597, but there were still three theories out there about who, there might be three authors, and God was just saying, I think he was saying, I'm going to get rid of every excuse that you have, but if you still want to believe, it's up to you. (laughs) So you can either believe it was from Isaiah or not, but, you know, God was making clear this is his word, his prophecy. So there's a prophecy that's pretty important. Here's another one. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth. Now, this had to do with actually when he was returning from Egypt, but they come from Nazareth, remember? And it said in the word spoken by the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. He's coming from Nazareth, and they go back to Nazareth, right? In fact, not just there, but they go to Bethlehem. So he's from Nazareth, and he comes to Bethlehem to be born. How do you work that out? Right? If you're trying to fake this, if you're trying to do something else, how do you work that out? Oh, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel, this one that has been spoken about before. In fact, he's also, this is Samuel, and God comes to David at one point in time and says, Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Your throne will be secure forever. How do you do that? Kings die. But here we've got a king who doesn't die. How do you do that? You can't. Not in the world. So we got another fulfillment of a prophecy. Here's one that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Just think about this. At the very beginning of the Bible, what we've got is this guy named Jacob, and he's got these 12 kids. And note that the first three are who anything prophetic and good should have come through because the firstborn is due the double honor. But the first three get skipped and it goes to son number four, who's Judah, and he prophesies over him, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. So it's saying it comes from Judah and it lasts forever when this other thing happens, this different kind of king. Now this is way back This is thousands of years before there's a Jesus. This is right at the beginning. First book. So what we got is this virgin gives birth, comes from Nazareth in Galilee, born in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, and then it keeps going. Oh, I don't know if you saw this post, but we've been talking about Isaiah and how important it is. This is such a cool thing, and I just want to show you the power of these things that we're talking about right now. This is an Israelite guy, and I'm not going to show you the clip, it's too long, but it's a guy from Israel who goes to people in Israel and says to them, reads to them Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is a eyewitness explanation of the cross. He will be despised, he will be rejected by his people, he will be, his life will be cut off, cut short but he'll be dying for the very people who crucified him he'll be taking their sins upon himself it's isaiah 53 is amazing and in this clip what happens is this guy is reading isaiah 53 to him and these people from israel that are jewish have never heard it and then at the end he starts saying who fulfills this And basically they say, honestly, there's only one person in all of human history who could even come close to fulfilling that. And that's Jesus, Yeshua. Now, they don't believe in him. (laughs) But they're saying the only person who could have ever fulfilled that is him. So this stuff about prophecy, and there's hundreds of them that Jesus fulfills in ways that are impossible to have made up. And the bottom line is, is God is being true to his word. Always remember, God is always true to His Word. But let's get back to this, because here we come to the glorious stuff. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, feeding trough. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven the shepherds said to each other let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him the shepherds told everyone what had happened. Again remember this is Luke. These are people that are still alive. You can talk to them. After seeing the shepherds told everyone what had happened, the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for they had all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So right here what we've got is angel appears to the shepherds, a heavenly choir appears, love to see that one day. Actually we will one day. Angels tell them what they'll find and who this baby really is. We're up to 25 and we're not done. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. And here's the miracle. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. And the Spirit intervened and led him to the temple. So now he's sitting in the temple, and he takes the child in his arms and praises God, saying, "Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people, Israel." And then then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, "He sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the sword will pierce to your own soul. Think about, the, think about the care that God is giving to Mary right now. You may have some thoughts about your mind, about what's going to happen. I know you're just trusting and believing and treasuring these up in your hearts, but I want you to understand something. The sword's going to pierce your soul. Love. God is telling her difficult things are going to happen for a good reason. Did you see it? So Anna then comes along. She's also in the temple. She comes along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. Just as, you know, just happened, right? No, God led her there too. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So here we go. The Spirit leads Simeon. The Spirit, Simeon prophesies. Then he prophesies a second time. Anna's at the right place at the right time. And then Anna prophesies. Now, I could keep going, but for time's sake, let me just finish out the birth narrative miracles. And there's more, but let me just finish them out, round them out for you. You do remember the whole wise man story, right, when they go to Herod? So think about the miracles that's in that story, and I'm just going to do them for you here. But the star appears, which leads them there. The angel warns the wise men about Herod. The star leads them to the very house. An angel appears to Joseph to tell him to go to to Egypt. A prophecy is fulfilled as the mothers in that region weep because there's no more children. Their babies have been killed by Herod. And then ultimately Jesus returns from Egypt fulfilling the prophecy out of Egypt I call my son. Just if you were doing apologetics and I'm not, If you're doing apologetics right there, the chances of one person fulfilling all of these verses and all of these things and all of these things happen is infinitesimally large. It's unmeasurably large. But that's not actually what I'm going after. What I'm going after is, is y'all thought, we all think, of the Christmas story as being miraculous, right? But did you know that there's at least 36 miracles in there? Did you think of it as being that miraculous? Did you think of it as being this this is we're only talking about like four chapters of the Bible here. Four chapters of the gospels. You know, it's almost as many miracles right here in these four chapters as what Jesus does. Now, Jesus did heal whole groups of people, so he did many more miracles, don't misunderstand. But do you understand something about the miracles that Jesus did. They were Jesus doing miracles to show people who he was and to reveal the character, the nature of God. You see it? But this is a totally different set of miracles. This is God just breaking in all over the place with angels, with people prophesying, with stuff happening, with people being led by the Spirit, with people showing up at certain places. There's just just this huge number of things that come together and every single one of them is coming from somewhere else than this world. That's the key concept for us right now to really get what God's wanting to do here. What's happening is, is all of these God is just breaking in here and doing a miracle here and a miracle here and a miracle here and a miracle here. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing so many miracles? Well, let me tell you about one more thing that's not in the story. Here's what the Israelites are waiting for. A person from the world like another Moses or another judge or another king like David. They're waiting for a person from the world to rise up in their midst, to rally the troops, to have the anointing of the Lord, and to cast off these hated Romans. We're the chosen people. We're supposed to be ruling. Instead, we're being ruled. We can't even do our own laws to the full extent. This is a terrible thing that we're under. We're under this oppression. And they're looking for yet one more ruler to come up and to free them. And here's the problem with that. It's already happened over and over again. Over and over, God raises up somebody, delivers them from the things that they think are important, from the things that they think will make life good, and then what happens? For a little while, they do okay, and then they mess up again and end up in bondage again. And then they cry out again, and then God brings somebody else, and this cycle has been going on for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, the same thing happens. If the Jews had gotten the Messiah that they wanted, it would have just happened again. Just one more thing in this world happens yet again, and they would have ended up in bondage anyway. Do you see it? So what was God doing? Something different. The Jews are expecting a king to come up and to deliver them from one of, if not the most brutal, calculated, strong army the world has ever seen. The way that the Romans ruled was with an iron fist. And this was God's answer. <laughs> That's something new. <laughs> That's something that doesn't make any sense. How's that going to help me? <laughs> We don't have them doing the miracles yet. We don't have the cross yet. These people in Israel at this point in time are looking at a baby in a manger and there's supposed to be all this other stuff going on and they're going, huh? (laughs) What? Really? What's this? Here's what it is. Watch. You really want to watch the screen right now. Here's what it is. It's God plunging into our reality. A new reality. It's God just pouring out something that is new, that is different, that isn't the same old thing over and over again. He is, he is the ultimate disruptor. He is changing everything now. He's saying it happened over and over again, the things of the world, and I'm coming in and I'm pouring out something brand new. I just want you to see it again because I want this to be so strongly in your mind. I want you to get a hold of what God wants to do and what God did right here. All of those miracles, this is what this is. God taking the kingdom of 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 God, the kingdom that is the spiritual dimension, and he is breaking the kingdom of this world. He is pouring himself in it in a way that just fractures it. Literally, an earthquake happens when the cross, right? God is breaking apart what was to pour in something key that we don't get at all. (laughs) If you really want to understand what God is doing right now, and this is a little different what I'm going to do right here, and I'm asking, if you're one of those people that's going to take like a couple of minutes to get into this thing that we're doing, you're going to miss it. So would you just, Give me, give me the favor of trusting me for a second because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to ask you to go with me on a journey. And It's going to take a sec because we're going to go through several different little movements here in this thing. But I want you to see, I want you to feel what God is trying to bring us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to think about whatever need you have. Financial, you know, whatever it is. Okay, maybe it's health, relationship, whatever it is. I want you to think about whatever need you have. Now, I want you to think about the fact that it's Christmas and you're going to get a gift. And this gift is going to solve that problem. Whatever it is. Need a new car? It's a new car. I want you to dream here. I'm not talking about, well, I can't afford that. I'm talking about if you could afford anything. Are we talking a new car? Maybe a new house. Maybe a sudden influx of a huge amount of money that would pay off all your debts take you out of your financial worries maybe it's maybe it's that you're just in your job and you're just in your life you've got so much stress going on in your life that what you could really use is like a sabbath year you know what i mean just a long period of time where you could just get away and refresh and recoup and get rid of the toxin from all the stress that's in your life would that be a good gift to have that maybe you're sick and you need healed How'd you like a Christmas present of a healing? Or somebody you know is sick and they need healing. How about that as a Christmas gift? You like that? How about one where a relationship has been badly damaged or hurt or is broken completely and God comes and fixes it, heals it. Doesn't just fix it, he makes it brand new. Takes it to a whole nother place. Is that a pretty good Christmas for you? Are those pretty good Christmas gifts? I want you to think about now how you feel about these gifts how do you feel about it? does it make you pretty happy does it make you kind of rejoice put a bounce in your step lighten your load right it makes you feel pretty good to think that you could be delivered from these problems doesn't it right so just feel that what's that feel like okay now keep your eyes closed now we're going to a whole other place Just imagine that instead of giving you a car, a house, finances, healing, whatever, just imagine if you had no need of any of those things. Genuinely no need. And no want. Because every want you ever had was being fulfilled completely. You don't need a car because... This is heaven and God, you don't have cars. You don't need a house because you're actually in God. You don't need money because there's no such thing as debt. There's no such thing as need, period. There is no stress. Not only is there no stress, but just think about it. Think about being in a place where at every single moment, every single moment and it never changes, you are completely happy. You are completely filled and overflowing with joy. You are completely and utterly fulfilled. Never, never to fail again. In any way, shape, or form. You don't need healing because you're perfectly well. Relationships haven't just been restored. You've been made one with God everybody else and I want you to think about how this gift feels does that feel pretty good does that feel like a pretty good Christmas to get all of that Now I want you to compare what it feels like to have this second Christmas than the first one where all you got was you know, a year's relief from your stress Or a new car that was going to break down or a house that needed gutters or see what I'm saying? Or finances when you could still spend and still have need. How much better does it feel to be completely delivered from any need? Because you have everything. The God of all the universe, you're in him. How much better does that feel? Does it feel better? Keep your eyes closed. Does it feel better? A lot better? Infinitely better? Because here's what I want to tell you. This is the Christmas gift that God wants to bring you right now. Now understand what it is. When he breaks into this world, he's not just giving you miracles to solve your problems like that first Christmas. He's giving you himself. He's breaking into your world not just to be in your world with you but to bring you to be in him. This is his Christmas gift. It's not miracles for you. It's him. And everything that he is that is so massively different than everything the world is. This Christmas, what God wants to bring you is him. Himself. He wants you to enter into the gift that He is. Do you like it? Go ahead and open your eyes. Was that a pretty good Christmas gift? Well then, Merry Christmas. Right? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your people come before you right now. And what we do is we say thank you. And I mean we say thank you. Having felt something, having experienced something, having realized something that our lives and our minds and our hearts are so wrapped into worldly things, are so wrapped around worldly things, are so encompassed and consumed with worldly things that we're actually just in a corrupted place and corrupting that we have missed the deeper truth that you want to bring us. We've missed the deeper message of Christmas. It is God with us. It's not Jesus in a manger. It's you coming to us, to be in us, to be with us evermore. Oh, God. (laughs) Wow thank you praise you we are overwhelmed at you what it is to live in you we ask you in Jesus holy and precious name that you would take us and that you would show us how to live as according to the kingdom of God no longer caught up in the over and over cycle of this world that just keeps repeating itself but delivered from it completely and utterly brought into your very presence the peace of God that passes all worldly things the peace of God that has to do with us being one with you hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you heavenly father Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' holy and precious name, wow. We reach down and we pick up these cups, and in the the bottom cup is the body broken for us, but we recognize that we broke that body, we broke our own lives by living in the world in a way that was a lot more to do with the world than it was to do with God. We recognize how much a mindset like that breaks us. And so we take our finger and we put it in there and we break this thing so as to break that thing, so as to break the power and the hold that it has over us, that we would give you every want, desire, need. We would give you who cares for us more than the grass of the field or the birds of the air, who's numbered our hair, who's numbered our days, who's got who moves us wherever you want us to be if we will but let you. So in Jesus' name, God, we just give our lives to you wholly and fully. And we take this cup saying, thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for showing. Thank you for healing us. Take together, would you? now in Jesus name we lift this cup in which is this glorious life already purchased already waiting right there literally at your fingertips literally already inside of you and so we turn our mind and we turn our hearts from the things of the world and we put them on the life that you've already got for us the life that Jesus led and modeled and we start living because of you like Jesus did so in Jesus holy and precious name God this life that you have become ours take this cup together Merry Christmas